This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans that bleed two-tone blue. Hey, this is Kevin Dyson, former Tennessee Titan, and you're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. Welcome to the show. This is Two-Tone Uncensored. We have a really great show for you. Very jam-packed. Before we get into the meat of the show, though, we have a lot of a lot of stuff that we need to cover. <clears throat> you all know that we've been running the Two-Tone Uncensored scavenger hunt for a while now. What finally came down to the last two guys. Each were given a quiz on the show. And our winner, he was with us here right now, Josh Pryor. Very excellent submission, Josh, and congratulations on winning. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, when I saw that you guys were doing the contest, I thought it was a really good idea to get uh, people going and yeah, good for the group and good for your uh, podcast to try to get some maybe more listeners or followers out of it. And uh, I thought it was really cool for Brandon to uh, offer up some of his tickets. So I just think it was a cool idea all around and Anything like this, I'm kind of a sucker for Titans. Anything, I'll I'll compete in it. Hey Josh, tell me what exactly did you submit to uh, the Titans to win your Hall of Fans submission? Uh, for my Hall of Fans submission, it was it's actually a really cool picture. I'll have to share it with you guys. It's my son who he's three years old. It's a picture of him with a titans checkerboard where the pieces are titans helmets and steelers helmets and my son has on his uh titans helmet with some eye black and he's like he's got his arm on the board making it look like he's getting kinged and he's like making a pretty mean face and i said the titans (laughs) bring their game face on the field and on the checkerboard nice man yeah man post that in the group i'd like to see that and Josh, not only did you win, but you were gracious enough, and you win like the Two Tone Uncensored Unofficial Cool Guy of the Year award because you didn't really need the tickets. You're gonna give the tickets to the second place uh, finisher, Josh Ebel, which is really awesome of you to do. So thanks a lot, and I'm sure that uh, Josh Ebel thanks thank you a lot as well. Yeah, I'm sure he appreciates that. I've been going to the games, pretty much every home game for a few years, and one of these again is just helping that out. And like I said, it wasn't really about the tickets, you know. I just thought it would be a pretty neat contest to, to enter and have some fun with it. Thanks for uh, coming cool, on the man. show. Thanks for your submission. It was really excellent, and you did very well in the quiz in the second part of it. And very gracious of you to give those tickets up. So. Big thanks uh, and awesome submission, Josh. All right, thanks to you guys for doing the show. I like it. Another big thanks to Josh Pryor for coming on the show and for doing such a great job in our contest and and you know being such a great guy and giving up those tickets. But now we're going to move on to the next thing here. We're going to start an NFL pick'em this year that anybody can be a part of. You can go on. And join it. It's already up and running right now, so you can go join it. And it's just to compete. There's going to be prizes at the end. Every week we're going to announce the weekly winner who had the best week that week. 
and you get to compete against myself, Matt, and Glenn. It's the two-tone pick'em. The title of it, it's on Yahoo, is two-tone uncensored. The group ID number is what you need, though. It's 1099. Again, the group ID number, 1099. Password is two-tone, all lowercase and all one word. So get on there. You can join it. All you got to do is just pick who you think is going to win each game every week. There's no confidence points. There's no spreads or anything. It's just straight who you think is going to win each week. And you get to compete against us three. See if you know more about football than me, Matt, and Glenn. This proves nothing. You don't. (laughs) And we have really big news, guys. The biggest news of the night. We are going to start the process of switching the show from Pinecast to Podbean. Uh, And what this means for you guys is there's going to be a lot prettier setup, a lot cleaner setup. There's going to be a lot more features and stuff for you guys to do. Also, Podbean has its own app, so feel free to download it to get ready. The next show, the very next show, will be the very first show that we have on Podbean. We will keep the Pinecast uh, up and we'll keep the show on Stitcher for a couple weeks here so everybody can make the switch smoothly but uh, starting next week our shows will be on Podbean that's podbean.com or the Podbean app you can download on Google Play or on the Apple Store so it's really exciting there's a lot of cool stuff there's going to be a lot more uh, going on with this show and a lot more things that we'll be able to do this also means a lot more content from us so very excited about the new app guys Let's head into the meat of the show here. We have a very special guest, very exciting interview here. Former Tennessee Titans player Dave Ball. How you doing, Dave? I'm good. How are you guys doing today? Good, man. What's going on? I'm hanging out, man. I'm talking to you guys today. What's the highlight of my day, you know? Well, that's good to hear on a Saturday morning. <laughs> For sure, man. All right, Dave, we're going to jump right into the interview part here. First question here is, you had a really outstanding college career, and you capped that career off with a great senior season in which you set UCLA's single-season sack record, their career sack record as well. Where does that season rank among your all-time best memories of football? Uh, it's up there. It's up there. You know, I mean, uh, everything pretty much came together, and Hard work paid off, dedication paid off, and it was like clicking, man. It was like easy. Um, it was really easy, actually. I mean, it was like, I don't know. It was, I was in the zone that whole year and extreme confidence and uh, just was, I mean, I could do what I want out there at times. Um, I mean, in terms of the memories, the memories I cherish are the ones just hanging out with friends and, and talking to people and just being in relationships with people just because that's, I don't know if that was the funnest stuff for me, just hanging out and going on trips to opposing stadiums and, and talking to people and, and goofing off and all that stuff, though. So definitely a, a locker room guy as opposed to just business on the field. For sure, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. The stuff on the field was awesome. I mean, it's anytime you can make a play and 70,000 people are, are cheering and and going crazy because of something you did that's like an amazing feeling i mean that's like i mean that's like where it's like a drug man it's like wow everybody loves you and you feel so great and that's amazing and playing with your teammates is great and fun 
Um, the things I miss, though, are just like the locker room and the players and the friendships and all that stuff. Well, talking about the locker room, you were there for the transition from Jeff Fisher to Mike Munchak. Did it feel like it was time for Jeff to leave? Was the locker room against that? Uh, I don't think it was against that. I mean, it was. I mean, Jeff Fisher brought a lot of stability there to the team, and we were everybody was comfortable with him. Everybody liked him. Um, I mean, we were having a lot of underperforming and a lot of mediocrity. So there's a lot of turmoil under the surface. So I mean, was it time? I don't know. I mean, not that was up to me. I mean, there, there was a change that, I mean, basically he just stepped down and both sides parted ways, but I guess that's the way it goes. Uh, I, I don't know if it was best the right time. The locker room certainly, in my opinion, was not against him. I think the locker room, we, everybody liked Jeff and everybody liked him as a coach and, and that kind of stuff. Probably the best uh, statistical game of your career was the 2008 Thanksgiving Day matchup with the Lions. In that game, you had a sack, a forced fumble, and scored a touchdown on an interception return. That game was easily my fondest memory of you as a Titan. I'm wondering, is that your favorite game as a pro, or was there another game that was more meaningful? Uh, that was, I mean, that was very meaningful. That was an amazing game, just for the fact that a year previous to that, I was out of football. I mean, I was living at the house I grew up in, I was grading my mom's, because my mom was a second grade teacher, I was grading her kids' papers that day on Thanksgiving. And it was depressing, and it was lonely, and it was frustrating. And then flash forward a year, you know, I I wanted to quit football in 2007, just because I was tired of being rejected, tired of being, you know, I knew I could play, but it was like, man, it was like the odds were stacked against me, you know. And then a year later, it's like, man, I'm, playing incredible football on TV on Thanksgiving Day. I mean, I score a touchdown, I get a sack, strip sack, all that stuff. And it's like, man, it's like finally, yes, things are starting to click. And that was certainly an amazing day and where everything came together. You know, there were certainly other days like that, too. I mean, I played uh, in 2011, we played um, uh, the Buccaneers, and it seemed like everything was going right there. Uh, I played the Ravens a couple times and things were really clicking. But, yeah, Thanksgiving was a very special special day for me just for the fact that, man, I'd been throwing a lot of curveballs in the previous year, and it was finally just great to say, man, it's working out. You know, okay, maybe maybe this is going to work out. Can you tell us what was up with that uh, touchdown dance you were doing? <laughs> yeah, so the, the reporters – dubbed it the turkey dance, which is not true. I mean, they claimed it that I wanted to call it the flying turkey, right? So, <laughs> I mean, look, so we're playing on Thanksgiving, so, and I'm playing, and like, I mean, guys in the locker room before the games, I mean, this is like a hyper-masculine NFL, tough guy league, quote-unquote, but people, I mean, everybody checks themselves out in the mirror before the game, see how they look, see, see what's going on, see if they look fresh or not. I was doing the same thing. I always did that, you know. Um, and so I'm like, I was practicing, man, what if I get a sack? What am I going to do? I got to do something special, you know, on Thanksgiving. So I did, so I was practicing, you know, I'm going to do this little church flap if I do that, if I get a sack. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I didn't get a sack until after I got that cat, that interception for a touchdown, but I don't know. So it was a play. I was doing a stunt. I was on the left side of the line. I got chipped. I fell down. Keith Bullock's coming on a blitz. 
he gets his huge hands. I mean, his fingers are like 12 inches long. His fingers are like rulers, right? So he get, he tips this pass, Dante Culpepper. It drops right into my lap. I catch it. It's the easiest pass ever. Juke this O-lineman. He's trying to, trying to tackle me. And then, like, split second, I'm like, dude, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to jump up, and I'm going to flap my arms like a turkey. Like, like, just in, like, a split second, I'm thinking that. <laughs> I do it, you know, and the rest is history. Throw the ball up there. And uh, it was, I mean, it was amazing. It was like, like, is this really happening to me? Is this happening to me? And it was like, yeah, it was amazing. I loved it. It was awesome. In that 2008 season that we're talking about, you started that out by hanging a sign on your locker that said, time is running out. I've always found that as motivational yeah. for when I catch myself procrastinating or, or needing to get something done and, and really puts you in perspective. I remember seeing that a lot in the news at the time. Were you motivating yourself to succeed, or was it more of a reminder to uh, enjoy the game that you were playing? Uh, yeah, I was definitely motivating myself to succeed. You know, it was like I, I always had, like, crazy performance anxiety, crazy performance anxiety, and, I knew this was my last chance. Like, I'd been out of football a year. I got signed. I'd been on two other teams. Probably wouldn't happen to get, wouldn't get signed again. You know, if I got cut, I, I knew it was probably it. Um, and, you know, I just felt like, man, let's, uh, let's just throw it all out there. And even though I did that, I mean, I always went harder than 99% of everybody else. So I wrote that on my locker just kind of to, to remind myself, you know, let's let's throw it out there. Let's throw it all out there. Let's 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 just let's empty the tank and every single day. And you know, it, I, I think it helped me. You know, I, I I ended up you know staying on there and being from turning into a full time starter from being out of football. And it was because of hard work, good of dedication, and yeah, that time was special to me. And um, so I knew 2012 was my last year. And I actually gave that sign to Carl Klug. I don't know if he still has it or not, but I gave that to Klug just because, man, he he's kind of like I was. You know, he is a guy who is, you know, fighting his butt off to get one-year, two-year deals and has to outwork people and has to, you know, fight to stay in there. And he's got a lot of talent. He's got a lot of drive and determination. And I, I wanted him to have that real little note to him on the back. And... uh yeah, so that's, I mean, I had to remind myself every day. I wish I would have enjoyed it more. Like you said, I wish I would have enjoyed it more. I was very paranoid in terms of, you know, what if I get cut? What if I get cut every day? So I do wish I would have enjoyed it more. But uh, I certainly, you know, got myself motivated every single day to, to, to give maximum effort out there. Do you know anybody that was on the team then that had that same aspect that you had as far as being paranoid and all that? Oh yeah, KVB dude. He he was like me, man. He was. Uh, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's upbringing or genetics, but it was. I mean, for me, I just felt like continually feeling the need to be validated as a human via my football performance. You know, and I mean, everybody's really trying to be validated in one way or the other via performance, via their job, or. Or, or something, I don't know, self-esteem. But, yeah, I mean, he was like me. It's like we had to continually, you know, fight to, you know, stay in the game, fight to stay, you know, loved by coaches and, and hustle and just 
give maximum effort just to kind of fill this void. I've never talked to you about that. That's my diagnosis as a pocket psychologist over here. But, yeah, I mean, there's definitely guys like that who have to continually fight their fear of being less than by their football performance. It's, it's interesting you brought up a clue. I actually compared him to you at one point as the, the kind of guy that comes in and just he, he grinds to stay on the league, and you know yeah. he's he's all effort all the time. Uh, I, I really like him as a player. He's not that star player, but I love it when he gets on the field because he always he's always going and trying to find a way to get involved in the play. Oh, for sure, Klug is. Uh, yeah, he. Uh, you know, when they talked about me and uh, when Kyle was there, somebody called me the poor man's Kyle Vandenbosch. You know, which I kind of was uh, chuckled at. But yeah, Carl Klug is fits the same mold. You know, very hard worker, extremely dedicated. I mean, the guy studies. The guy really cares. The guy is a maximum effort kind of guy, and he's got a really good. He's got really good pass rush abilities. I mean, I've seen him do some amazing things. Um, Jarrell, it's unfortunate that he's next to Jarrell because Jarrell's got a really a lot of good pass rush ability too. And so kind of Carl has to take a little bit of a backseat at times, you know, um, or go against a double team where the center's sliding. But, um, yeah, Carl's an awesome person, and he's really talented, and he really cares, and he's a real he's, he's a down-to-earth kind of guy. Yeah, we're all rooting for him. We like him a lot. In 2011, you sustained a concussion that, that you said led you to playing your best football of your career i think yeah. we've got a sense of where that comes from already from talking to you about working so hard and being worried about staying in the league can you walk us yeah. through the thought process of how that kind of set you free to just go out with everything you had yeah for sure so 2011 i don't know which i don't know which game it was it might have been versus the Colts, maybe texas i don't know one game so i got a, i got a concussion and this is like i don't know concussion this was like concussion like five over two years or something like that. Um, so I knew so some of the doctors were saying, you know, maybe you should hang it up or maybe we should rethink, you know, doing this, playing the game and, in terms of your career. And so basically I got that last one. Actually, it wasn't my last one, but I got the 2011 and I thought I was done. You know, I thought I was, I thought I was over. So I was really down. I was really sad, you know, I went to the doctor and they're like, no, you can, you can keep going. And so I knew I had, I knew I had, there were like four or five games left in the season. And in my mind, it was like, you know, they're not going to resign me. So I have four games left. So man, you know what? Let's finally enjoy this. Let's finally enjoy your career. Let's finally enjoy each game because there's probably, there probably is no tomorrow after this year. There's probably next, no next year. And so finally, it was like, okay, I don't have to worry about not making it next year because I'm going to be done, you know. And 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 it was like the shackles were off, the performance shackles. I could just go out there and finally enjoy it, and finally be free. And yes, I played really good football, man. I think I had like maybe three sacks in four games or something like that. Yeah, a couple strip sacks. Um, so and it was quite. It was so liberating. Um, it's just a shame that I didn't enjoy it more. You know, I, I look back and I do regret, you know, not enjoying my career more because man, I pressed so hard and it was, it was, 
and then I broke down a lot in my head, and it was really tough and traumatic at times. Do you ever go back and watch on tape your career and try to, like, not necessarily relive it, but see it from a different aspect? I do. Like, I don't really have any of Titans games on tape. You know, I never DVR them. I, never, I don't have them on, DV, you know, on, uh, on, on DVD. Uh, sometimes I'll look at clips. I mean, yes, it honestly, it does make me feel good to go back and look at the times I played well. And, uh, you know, some, some games I played extremely well. And looking back, I, I do love that, man. I, I, I love to go and see myself play well and, and do that. Um, sometimes I'll watch college game tape and, but my mind is extremely critical. So sometimes it's not as fun as it, as it, as it, as it would be, um, but yeah, I do. I do, I do go back and I, I look at it and I miss it. And uh, the games were extremely fun. Extremely fun. I think that's a common experience for a lot of us. You know, a lot of guys who played that didn't appreciate it enough is you know when we had a chance to play, and you never know when that's going to be over. You know, most guys don't ever make it to the NFL, and so they're, they're living on their high school days or their college days. And every time I've talked to one of the guys I played with, it's always, man, I wish I would have taken more time to enjoy it when I was there. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, I mean, it's a trip. The NFL is a trip, and it's a very transactional league in terms of, you know, here they go tomorrow. And I, I had zero control of that, yet I, I, I pressed extremely hard. I mean, I play. I was in the NFL for nine years, and, man, I, I in, in terms of enjoying the uh, process, I probably enjoyed it maybe – half of the season if you add up all the games. And that I mean that's everybody thinks the NFL, wow, this is this amazing thing and you're on this pedestal and, and this is like wow, I was every boy dreams of being a professional athlete. And it was I mean, at times it was the the antithesis of that. It was just like miserable for me. So yes, I, I, I do regret not enjoying it. I mean, life's too short to, to 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 be doing something that you should be loving and not loving it, you know? Dave, is there anybody that you played with that really we would say was the, the exact opposite? You know, like every game that they played in, they were just having fun. They were, you know, really able to to look at it as, as from a different perspective and just play without any fear or any worry. Oh, for sure. Uh, Tony Brown, he was a deep tackle for the Titans, and this guy... Uh, I admire Tony so much. He was like, I mean, he just didn't care. Like, in ter- not in terms of, like, I'm not going to do it. He didn't care in terms of, like, if I mess up, I mess up. It's fine. Like, I'm going to ball out the next play. Like, he had such confidence, and he had such, I mean, he was just like a gangster out there, man. He would just go out <laughs> there and just leave it all out there and, you know, like, do his best and fire all his bullets and then, you know, if he messed up, he messed up, you know, and I, I so admired, I, I so admire people for that. If you can just, I mean, go out there and be fearless and, and just leave it all out there. And he did that. Certainly I did that too. It's just, man, I had so much mental baggage with that. Um, but Tony, man, he was fearless. I mean, he was fearless in practice, fearless in, in life, fearless in, in, in football. And, as a guy who had been cut and who had bounced around, uh, man, that, I, I just admire those qualities. And he, uh, he was, I, I just respected him so much for, for his mindset, his ability, and for his, I mean, how he carried himself on the football field. 
So he had that ideal short-term memory where just every play is a new play. Don't worry about what just happened. Oh, 100%. I mean, he had this incredible confidence and incredible resilience and swagger and atti- his attitude was fantastic. He was a great teammate, too. He was his locker was right next to mine, and he was so nice to me from day one. I mean, he had my back, and he was always, would always pump me up. And, and uh, I mean, his, his confidence level was I – I, I loved it so much, man. I, I, I wished I could have been like that, you know? Yeah, uh, I want to get into the coach form a little bit. I had once read that you had once said that players who can play without the fear of making mistakes are the ones who will play at their highest level. How does the coach form help the players play without that fear? Well, the coach form is basically, you know, a handful of speakers, about 10 to 13 speakers who are influential in terms of progressive coaching strategies for helping coaches give the best that they have inside to help their players on and off the field. And, you know, from my perspective, the, when I was on, when I, when I played for a coach who, you know, helped me release that fear of making a mistake and always know, and, and I always knew that the coach had my back, you know, I would play free. I would, I would listen to what the coach said more. I would trust this coach more. I knew I could make a mistake and it would be okay. And players who can play for coaches they trust and, and they will do so much better. And I mean, I just know that for a fact that that's what happened in my career. And I had, I had two brilliant coaches who coached me up like that and built relationships with me. And that was like setting me free. Not that I was totally free of fear, but I knew I could make a mistake. I could screw up, and this guy has my back. So I, I love that kind of philosophy, and I want to – I believe it's the truth, and I would love for coaches to learn these techniques from these experts and possibly change their players' lives on and off the field. We are going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back with more from Dave Ball. Time to pay the bills. Some quick ads and we'll get right back to the show. Hey all you Titans fans, if you're looking for a great app that has all the Titans info that you need in one place, check out the Tennessee Titans app. You can find the links to it on our Facebook or Twitter or on the AppCatch Marketplace. This app features links to the latest Titans news, the official Titan shop, the schedule, Ask Jim Wyatt, videos, pictures, and even a link to the best damn Titan show around, Two-Tone Uncensored. Again, you can find the Tennessee Titans app on our Facebook page at Two-Tone Podcast, on Twitter at Two-Tone Uncensored, or on the App Catch Marketplace. Hey, this is Ryan and Rich from the Free Parking Show. Our show is a sports podcast hosted by four sports journalists and features shows like Beers and Cheers, Par for Discourse, and our NFL preview, the 32-team parking garage. Check us out on Stitcher, Spreaker, and our website, www.freeparking.com.
You are listening to Two Tone Uncensored, brought to you by Pinecast and Stitcher. Welcome back to the show. We have more here with Dave Ball. Dave talked about that concussion in 2011. Then in 2012, you suffer another concussion that kind of forced you into retirement. What was it like to make that decision that you're never going to play again? <laughs> it was not. <laughs> it, well, I didn't make the decision. You know, the decision was made for me based on lack of opportunities. You know, I mean, I, I never retired. Shoot, I'd still play if somebody would have me on their team. But yeah. nobody wants me on their team. So I retired due to lack of opportunities. So, I mean, I knew I knew, I knew, it was over with because I had a lot of concussions. And concussions are the boogeyman. And if you have a player who can't make it through a training camp, he's not going to be on the team, you know. So I knew it was over with. And it was extremely difficult that year, extremely difficult. I mean, I felt very alienated. I felt very isolated. Uh, I was extremely angry, um, and it was tough, man. I knew it was the end of the road, and I didn't know how to deal with it. I really didn't. So, I mean, I, was, I felt like a ghost in the facility, and I felt like there was really not a lot of options in terms of who to talk to. Uh, yeah, 2012 was a very rough year, and, and everything kind of hit me, and it was from then on out, from then for the next probably two, three years, it was like the rug got pulled out from under me in terms of, Man, who am I? What am I doing here? What am I good at? Can I do anything else besides football? Uh, so yeah, that was that was that was tough times. Yeah, it's definitely a a really hard thing to go through. When Jim Washburn called you, and he's always been known for being very matter of fact with his players, not pulling punches, not worrying about your ego. So when he called you and said it was time for you to walk away, did that give you serious pause about re-signing? That kind of worried me. It, it, it did two things. One, it like made me feel extremely good because man, this guy cares about me, and it was he wasn't just using me when he was when, when he had this had built this relationship with me. Like he really does care, and he still does. And watch, I had lunch with him probably last week, and man, I love him. He loves me. It's like a father son kind of deal. Uh, so that made me feel really good. This guy cares about me, like he really does love me and care about me and cares about my well-being. It kind of scared me because it's like, man, people are worried about me. It's like, what if, I mean, what if I do really get hurt? What if I do have some long-term damage? What if I do all these what ifs in my head? Um, you know, I was already under contract. I pretty much knew that that was going to be the end of the road. So, there was a whole bunch of feelings wrapped up in that. You know, I was angry. I was lonely. I was sad. I was very fearful. Uh, I mean, I was on autopilot at that time just because didn't really know what was going to happen. It was a very new, new water to be in. And it was, it was scary. We talked a little bit about it earlier, about how you were a, a locker room kind of guy. And that's, you know, what you miss about playing. So was that, you know, going through this and having your first couple years out of the league, would you say that was definitely the thing that you missed most about football was the locker room and the guys that you played with? Oh, yeah. Oh, tremendously. And I still do. And it's, oh, it's sad. It's sad. It's lonely, man. So you go from having 60 to 80 friends and people and men your age you talk to every single day and 
10 to 15 coaches you talk to every single day to having nobody. I mean, you have your, I have my wife and three children and it's a lot, it's incredible. It's crushingly lonely. <laughs> it is crushingly lonely at times. And so those people you talk to, it's like, man, you don't have any guys to talk to any, anymore. And you go from having structure every day. So I, I had structure. You know what's going to happen day one through day 365. You, you, you're having somebody giving you, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to list this day. We're going to have meetings. We're going to do this, this, and this. Then you have, wow, now you're on your own. You make up your own schedule. And, I mean, people who are quote-unquote retired, I mean, that's okay. But it's like, okay, now I'm watching TV and now I'm not doing anything. It's like, man, what is my purpose? What am I doing? For a guy who's continually trying to validate himself through sports and through performance, it is. It was extremely hard. It still is extremely hard just to find out, man. What What am I here for? What What am I supposed to do? Why Why am I? I mean, what's going on? It was. It was like a, the rug being pulled out from under me. It was, uh, and it still is. It's very hard. It's. Uh, I mean, I, I've I've been in sports from age six to age thirty one, on a team from age six to age thirty one, and it's very difficult to not be on a team and not talk to people on a daily basis. Um, and so that, that is a struggle. That That is a daily thing where, man, I wish I had that locker room to, to hang out with and to talk to guys and to, and to have fun. Um, so that is a struggle. And I think that's where a lot of guys who retire really have issues and have struggles. And there are not a lot of, you know, things out there for, for that locker room brotherhood anymore. And so, I think that's where a lot of guys like me get into trouble in terms of anxiety, depression, you know, alcoholism, drug abuse. It's like, man, we don't have this thing anymore. So now it's kind of scary. It's kind of scary on your own and, and planning it out, doing something. And now the thing you've been training for your whole life, uh, yeah, that's gone. And those skills that you had, unless you're going to be a football coach, those are really not valued in society. And, so it's, I mean, it's hard, it's hard, man. The transition is hard, and it's scary, and it's real. And not to harp on life after football too much here, Dave, but, you know, a lot of players say that they miss the locker room and then not knowing what to do next. And you said uh, when you didn't get picked up that 2013 season, you said, I'd like to play forever, but it's not going to happen. I guess I'll get a new job. Did you have any plans at that point of, of what your future might hold you know, as far as a career or work goes? Uh, then I did not. 2012, 2013, I did not. You know, I went back to school. I got my MBA from George Washington University. And I had originally gone there to just get an MBA to put on my resume because I thought maybe I'd go into advertising. Maybe I'd go into marketing. I'm, I'm pretty interested with that stuff. Um, that was, while I was doing that, I didn't like it. It wasn't, I don't know if it was for me or not. I didn't like it. So I took over oh, an entrepreneurship class in, um, at George Washington. And, you know, it was about solving problems and making money. It's entrepreneurship. So I had this idea, you know, what were some of the big problems that I saw in the NFL. And to me, I always saw all these problems on the surface, both with myself and with teammates on and off the field. You know, guys, in terms of on the field struggles, guys were, 
sometimes guys wouldn't be prepared, wouldn't understand the game plan, wouldn't fully understand their roles or their responsibilities or their plays. Guys would, you know, be sore. Guys would be physically beat up and not tell people about it for fear of, you know, being benched or not playing. Also, like me, I was dealing with anxiety issues. I saw guys dealing with depression, alcoholism, you know, bipolar disorder, all that stuff. And so I thought, man, what if I could get a head coach to see exactly what was going on on or off the field and possibly help his players on and off the field? You know, players who are going to be more prepared on the field, they're going to play better. Players who are feeling better or less stressed out off the field, they're going to play better. And we could change lives. So we were using this uh, program for my grad school, and it was it's called Survey Monkey. And that, that's how they got our feedback from the grad school correspondents or the grad school students. So I thought, man, what if I could use SurveyMonkey for sports? You know, with this idea, I started uh, the idea for a, for, a, for a company, and so that's what we do. Basically, um, we help head coaches see exactly where their players are at mentally, physically, and emotionally in real time based on survey data. And I've been doing this for about three and a half years just from an idea to reality, and I got about 25 teams on board, and so that's what we do. We ask we, 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 we work with local sports teams, high school and colleges, and we get, um, we ask the players questions and we get honest and honest feedback and we break it down so head coaches can see, wow, this stuff is going on under the surface. So hopefully these coaches can help their players, you know, build trust, build culture, and most importantly, if there is stuff going wrong, help these kids out in their lives. And oh yeah, the players are going to play better if they feel better. So that's what I've been working on. It's called my company's called First Team Reps, um, and so that's what we do. And uh, it's extremely challenging because I mean I'm about three and a half years into this, and business is a challenge, man. It's like when I was three years into football, in terms of first three years playing, I really didn't know how to play football. So that's kind of the same learning curve as, as business. That business is like thirty different things that I'm trying to learn. So I'm doing that. Um, you know, spreading the word, trying to talk to local high schools and local colleges, and I got about 25 teams on board, and uh, we're just kind of going from there, trying to help players play better, feel better, and uh, help coaches deal with stuff that goes on, on under the surface of their team. If you had to pinpoint uh, one thing, what, what's been the biggest, the biggest help for you from the emotional side of actually leaving the game? What's helped you out the most after leaving? Uh, that's a good question because some days it's just like, man, I need a lot more help than I get. Uh, I would say, I mean, I go to counseling. Uh, my counselor is uh, his Stephen James uh, at Sage Hill Counseling. He's awesome. He's amazing. Uh, I would say finding, if you have issues, anxiety, depression, alcoholism, whatever, personal, mental, or emotional issues, I would say find a counselor that really you can open up to and who can really help you work on you so counseling really did help um i was off i was on meds for i took uh it was the generic form of paxil i took paxil for about about 2000 until about 2013 12 i got off that for about two years man i had to get back on i had to get back on the the train probably four months ago so i took abuse bar now so i take medication i go to counseling um I mean, it's a process. Men really do not have a stable network of 
friends that they go to and can talk to and can be vulnerable with and can lean on. I mean, men really just don't do that. I mean, we, we hold everything inside and, and if there's problems, you know, what do we do? We'll medicate, we'll, we'll distract ourselves. Uh, so what's helped me was, you know, being vulnerable, you know, trying to make friendships, trying to, trying to deal with the things that I have instead of running from them, you know, and that's really hard or really scary, but you know, that's where the growth comes in. You know, people are feeling their feelings for a reason and these feelings are going to help guide us and help take us somewhere running from them, hiding from them, you know, ignoring them is counterproductive and it's going to destroy guys. So I'm continually dealing with stuff you know, seeking help, going to counseling, you know, trying to be honest and, and talk to people and feel my feelings and, and uh, be, a, be a human who, who is having a fulfilled life. It's, it's harder than you would expect. Definitely. I, I want to thank you for just being so open with us. You know, like you said, a lot of guys, they can't have this conversation. Oh, and, for sure. It's hard. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I have, I have some personal experience with uh, concussions. I had some several severe concussions whenever I was playing back in high school. I actually uh, broke my back playing the game, and that, that concussion, put, it put me down for years. And But, you know, our, our coaches always told us just to walk it off, get back in the game. The, the other players were like, man, we need you. Please get back out here. I remember feeling very alone when dealing with the effects of that, that post-concussion syndrome. Did you feel your teammates and coaches really supported you while you were recovering from that? Or was it more of a, hey, you need to rush and get back? You know, there, there were obviously some doctors talking to you about it. But did it feel like the locker room and just the league in general had adjusted to the new information on concussions? I think in terms of support, I think, it, no, I don't think there's a lot of support. I think, and this is one of the things I went out on my injured reserve three times and I missed a couple games other times and when you're injured the support is really not there it's really not there I think for me I struggled tremendously and when I was like when I was on injury reserve I felt like a ghost in the facility and I felt like guys treated you different I felt like coaches treated me different because really I mean it's like I mean this team is moving on with or without the people who are on the field and when you're on injured reserve, you come in at different times and you're away from your teammates. And that's like really bad for your mental state. You know I mean? Everybody wants to be part of a team. Every person wants to belong and to matter. And when you're on injured reserve, it's really like you do not belong. And you do not matter. Uh, I, I, I didn't feel supported when I got hurt. I didn't. I really didn't. I felt like, I mean, people wanted you to play or wanted you to kind of step aside and that's not healthy, especially for a guy like me who has who had who has anxiety. It's it's really challenging and it's really oh it's ex- extremely lonely, um, and that's not healthy. That's not beneficial. And I don't know if they do it differently. I've been out for three four years, um, but that's to me that's one of the things that the NFL really needs to change. I mean, when guys get hurt, when guys are out of the game, there, there needs to be a lot of support there because. It is a struggle. It is a definite mental struggle. And a lot of guys, well, they'll, they'll medicate or they'll ignore it or they'll push it down. And that's, that's really not productive to, to any human being. The other, the other thought I had on the concussions was, 
you know, the, the hit that stopped me, you know, it, it broke my back. And obviously, I was a notably different person, and it took me years to recover. Do you feel like your, some of your concussion symptoms are still with you? Were they ever quite as strong as that, or managed to move past it all at this point? In terms of my concussion symptoms, I, I mean, I never had one that totally destroyed me or something like that. I got knocked out so to where I blacked out, I don't know, maybe twice, three times. So I, nothing that <coughs> extremely, dis- nothing that my, my mind was like total like goop or, or something like that. Uh, I do feel sometimes ESL have stuff, you know, sometimes I'll be light sensitive. I will get migraines. I will, like in terms of dizziness, yes, I'll get that. Um, so like I'll get car sick sometimes, but I don't know. I don't know if that's other stuff. I don't know if that's concussions. Who knows? I don't know if they will ever know. But, yes, I do still think I, I, I have symptoms, um, which is scary, which is scary. Uh, I wish there was something out there to – something that will rewire the brain or, or something you could take for your brain. I, I don't think there is. But, yeah, I still do have concussion symptoms, I think. Yeah. The coach forum was held this past week at Vanderbilt. It's not just – football players but athletes from all over the sports world and the forum's goal is to teach coaches new ways to build up young athletes and you know that they're around every day part of that is teaching them to be responsible for their actions and to take pride in their in moving forward in their life in a positive manner what are the biggest challenges that young athletes and coaches face growing up in a world with so much media coverage surrounding every little thing that they do um i would say the 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 biggest struggle is the struggle to be authentic, to be yourself. I mean, not everybody is going to be a primetime performer, yet primetime performers are put on the hugest pedestal ever. You know, I mean, to me, we celebrate athletes. We celebrate people who have made it in the business world. We celebrate the things that are not necessarily healthy. You know, we should be celebrating authentic, well-rounded people. To me, we should be celebrating people who build others up. I mean, teachers, people who people who help other people in this world. I mean, Kobe Bryant's one of the best basketball players ever, you know, and he, is, he had a farewell tour, right? And everybody's standing ovations for Kobe Bryant. I mean, based on the stuff that I've seen about Kobe Bryant, I mean, I wouldn't want to roll, have my kids to for him to be my kid's role model. I mean, I wouldn't want that, you know? I mean, I, I've seen things where he continually tears down his teammates. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen, everybody's seen the things, the public stuff with uh, the stuff he had going on with that hotel worker. I mean, to me, I, I would like people to realize this. I mean, I follow Joe Ehrman. Joe Ehrman talks continually about how life is about life should be about maintaining relationships and having a cause greater than yourself. And he tells this one story and he has a Ted talk. I believe it's in this Ted talk where, you know, flight 93 is going down on nine 11. And, you know, who are these people calling? They're not calling their financial advisors when they know they're going to die. They're calling the people they love, you know, this life, when people are on their deathbed, they're not going to remember, you know, how much money they made. They're not going to remember, oh, I was the 
I was the MVP of, of this thing. They're going to remember the people they loved and the people who really mattered in their life. And, you know, we shouldn't be putting these, we shouldn't be put, putting people on a pedestal who, who don't deserve it. You know, I think we should be putting people who truly make a difference in people's lives on a pedestal. You know, will that ever happen? Man, uh, I doubt it. But, I mean, just to get people to think of what truly matters in this world would be an amazing shift. Uh, I don't even remember your question, <laughs> but I'm going off on a tangent. But uh, I, I don't know. That's, that's just kind of what I'm passionate about. No, it's definitely a good tangent to go on. Uh, one of the points you bring up about pedestals, uh, my brother-in-law is a teacher at uh, Oklahoma State University, and he's always been a huge sports fan. And once he got to the point where he was dealing with athletes in classes and seeing the way that they treated people, he actually stopped being as much of a sports fan because he had the same uh, realization that you just talked about. That he's putting people on pedestals and giving them control over how he feels in his life You know, when they win a game, when they lose a game. And he, he, once he met those guys, he's like, you know, these guys aren't really worth this much emotional investment from me. I need to focus on the people that are making me happy in my life. For sure. I mean, they're, I mean, athletes are entitled, for sure. I mean, in the NFL locker room, there are so many entitled athletes. You meet, I mean, look look in the mirror. I, was, I certainly was like that, and I would like to think that I've changed. I was, and I was, hopefully I was never too much like that, and I tried not to be like that. But I guarantee you, I certainly was. I mean, when you are put, I mean, when you're on TV, when, you, when you're playing in front of 70,000 people, when you're getting interviewed, when you're, uh, ESPN do a story about you, man. So you know what? Sometimes you do feel like, man, I'm great, I'm sweet, you know, I'm, I'm untouchable. And when you've been treated that way, which I'm sure athletes have been, like we talked about Kobe Bryant, I'm sure he's been treated like a god since he was 17, 18 years old. Certainly, it can make you feel like, you know what? I am better. You can't believe that, though. I am better than everybody else. You know, I, I am great, and I don't have to listen to this person, which is totally bass backwards and not right but for sure there are entitled athletes out there and certainly that's not the way to do it and i'm trying to raise my boys by being humble and being authentic and being true to themselves and being servants um but yeah i mean there are a lot of entitled athletes out there and certainly i think things like the coach forum where we have you know influencers and experts on doing it the right way can build quality relationships with their athletes so they so coaches can teach their athletes no it's it's really not about me it's about us you know it's really not about getting it's about giving it's about living through your heart and oh yeah when you can do this when you can live through your heart and when you can live a full life amazing things in terms of your performance and your life are going to happen Absolutely. Yeah, I, I had a lot of that experience, uh, you know, in high school even. You know, coaches were changing our grades. They were paying for players who were from poor families that needed to go get a job. They, they, they pay them just to come play high school football. So it, it only gets worse from there, I imagine. Adulation of the cheers go away. People will start writing stories about you. You, you kind of left to yourself to figure out who you want to be. And so the coaching forum, you know, telling these guys, getting them prepared for that kind of a reality and encouraging them to be the best guy they can be while they're playing so they don't have to wait till after they stop. That, that, that's a big deal. It's a really good thing that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, Dave, to end out on a lighter note, 
You know, everybody who's played the game at any level knows the antics that can go in the locker room, and the NFL is definitely no exception. In your playing days, if you have to think of one prank or, or, or something that was done to a rookie, something that was done in the locker room that was just the funniest moment that you can recall, what would it be? Oh, that's a good question. So we had we had a guy named Casey Kramer on our team, and he was always pulling pranks. He was a fullback, and so he was he, our our strength coach, Steve Watterson, was always pulling pranks too. So they were in cahoots a lot, and so it was April first. It was April Fool's Day, and so they decided they're gonna basically get in a fake fight and see what happens. See what happens with all these with everybody else and pull an April Fool's Day prank. So. So they come in, and so Casey Kramer is, like, saying stuff, and so Steve Watterson is saying stuff, and so they're jawing at each other, and it's totally scripted, and they're totally making it up. So eventually they get into, like, they script it out, so they're getting to, like, a wrestling match and whatever. So Casey Kramer has, like, a ketchup packet, so he puts that on his face, like, unbeknownst to everybody else. So everybody's like, wow, what's going on? What the heck's going on? So everybody thinks this is a huge meltdown fight. And then eventually it's like, oh, this was an April Fool's joke, but everybody bought it, hook, line, sinker. That's probably the funniest thing. I, I'm sure there's others. I can't really remember. But, yeah, I mean, this is a <laughs> – in terms of the NFL, it's like this is a billion-dollar business, and it's like you would not imagine some of the crazy stuff that goes on. It's like like for real. Like if this was like – if this was like uh, FedEx headquarters that all this stuff went on, I mean, there'd be like – crazy lawsuits going on i mean it'd be like it would be amazing but this is like i mean it's like grown grown boys who are just acting a fool at times um and it's a trip it's a trip that's awesome man dave you've been an awesome guest we'd love to have you back anytime you for anyone who would like to receive more information on the coaching forum you can send your emails to info at thecoachforum.com and uh, get some great knowledge off of there but, again, thank you, Dave. You've been great. We all definitely appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And, again, big thanks to Dave Ball for being on the show with us. An excellent interview. I'm very happy to have him on and can't wait to have him on again. Along with Dave Ball, congratulations to Josh Pryor for winning our scavenger hunt. Again, really awesome of him to, to give up those tickets. Really good guy. Uh, also, don't forget, we have the two-tone pick'em as we talked about earlier. Again, that group ID, 1099, password two-tone, all lowercase, all one word. And don't forget to download the Podbean app and, and start checking us out on podbean.com. Our very next show, as I said, will be on Podbean, so definitely check it out. Big move for us and a lot of big things to come because of this move. Podbean! Yeah, guys, definitely check out that Podbean uh, website. It's going to be 10 times better than what we had up. There's going to be a lot more content, and uh, I think you guys are really going to like it. Absolutely. Very excited about the move. Uh, that's about all we have for the show. Definitely check us out next week on Wednesday when we release the show again on Podbean, and we'll have a lot more stuff coming on as we head into preseason and finally the start of football season. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Podbean! Get out! Thanks for listening to the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. You can listen to the show at twotone.pinecast.co 
followed by downloading the Stitcher app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at 2 Uncensor and like it on Facebook.